0: Every client that I have, even my own personal story, has so many moments of, I feel like a failure because the expectations that are set up are not realistic and they're not your own.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Executive Order Podcast, a show for small business owners who want to learn how to do less to accomplish more. I'm a professional organizer based in Somerville, South Carolina, and I know there isn't a one-size-fits-all for organizing within your business. In talking with my guests, chatting about our struggles, our wins, and our lessons learned, I hope that you can learn what works best for you to create a business and a life that's just right for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Executive Order Podcast. This week we are chatting with Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting.
0: Hey Alex, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Me too. I'm so excited. You have such a unique perspective, especially um, as far as who you work with and that you really focus on organizing in the work that you do. So I'm really excited to hear all about that. But will you first tell the listeners a little bit more about what Capable Consulting is and how you got into it?
0: Sure. So Again, so excited to be here. And yes, organizing is is part of what I do in a very particular fashion. So Capable Consulting is a company that is dedicated to helping and supporting adults who have learning disabilities and or ADHD kind of function in the workplace and at home, but not only function, but learn to thrive and declutter your mind in a way so i had started this company a few months ago but this was something i had been passionate about basically since i was 16. i have dyslexia and adhd and i was really privileged enough to be diagnosed at a young age and have all kinds of support all the way through college which is really not the case for everyone that i work with and once i was in school and in college and having all these resources i really did well because i was staying on par with my peers but then when I graduated, nothing like that existed in the workplace or at home. And I was such a mess, to put it mildly. I mean, just not just my, my physical work, but my mental health suffered as well. And so after a decade of working in leadership development and program development, I was laid off from my job because of COVID. And I stopped for a second and said, I've had this idea for helping and supporting adults with learning disabilities for so long. I've been doing program and leadership development with the lens of having a learning disability and ADHD myself. What am I waiting for? And so now here we are, surviving the pandemic and thriving in in the pandemic too.
1: The pandemic, of course, for so many of us was like that aha moment of like, hold on, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. I've had this idea or I've been wanting to do this or I already do this. Why the heck am I not doing it for myself? So I fully, fully get that. Um, And when you and I first spoke, I remember being really surprised that you were diagnosed at the age that you were, because we find that women more often than not aren't diagnosed, if at all, you know, and it might not be until later in life. And you and I both just talked about how amazing that was and how that's given you such a different perspective to have all of that background. A
0: hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, most, I think most of my clients that have come to me are women who have been diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, sometimes in their 40s when their kids are getting diagnosed and it's genetic. So I I think a lot of it comes down to how ADHD really reflects in girls versus boys. And a lot of the times girls have the inattentive phase of ADHD. So they might be a little spacey, Um, and might be a little disorganized, but the expectation for girls is you should be able to keep organized. Whereas a lot of the boys who get diagnosed younger are hyperactive. They're the ones who are disrupting class. And so it's all internalized thinking, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why is this so hard for me? And then the aha moments that come to me, I, I think really TikTok has made a huge impact on women who are being diagnosed now because there are so many symptoms that are part of ADHD that they just watch these videos and say, oh, that's me. You know, so I, I I, love that that's created this awareness. Um, but I don't want people to feel like they're alone or that this is all their fa- fault because it's not.
1: I think that when you talk about girls being disorganized and that when you're young, it's like, oh, no, you just should be like, I'm sorry, where was that? how
0: did that happen? <laughs> that just like, oh, you're a girl. You should just be able to do this. Like what? It's so many women that I talk to now where moms are like, I need to have my kids schedule and I need to remember this birthday party and I need to pay this bills. And the stress of that is so overwhelming. And again, it's like this expectation that we have. It's just, oh God, share, share the pressure, share the wealth. This is not on you, but it also doesn't have to be that way. At all. So I, I think that that's really important to both what you and I do is really important for that, that you don't have to be in this constant state of chaos.
1: And I mean, i'll I'll also say like, so often, I'll get a, a phone call from someone for a consult, and there's just a lot of shame. You know, it's just like like they just really feel like they have failed in some way as a a mother, as a whatever it might be. They have this like notion of what they should be, or how it should be, or how their home should be, or how something should function. And it's like, not only am I going in to help them organize their space, but to just remind them that there is no should, there is no expectation that someone has unfortunately told you throughout your life. Pinterest is gorgeous and wonderful. And Instagram, there are so many beautiful things. But for me, it's I, I don't want to be portraying this because I, I don't want to keep perpetuating this idea that like this is what a good organized house looks like. It's like, well, no. And is that
0: something that everyone
1: can maintain? Absolutely not.
0: I love that. And I, I would say I talk about very similar things, especially when it comes to failure. Every client that I have, even my own personal story, has so many moments of, I feel like a failure because the expectations that are set up are not realistic and they're not your own. And so to stop and say, that's my failure and and saying, I set those expectations up that weren't realistic for me. That's the failure, not the fact that you can't have a perfect home edit rainbow wall of organization. I mean, sure, it looks beautiful, but... If you're afraid to open your fridge because it's in the wrong place, or you're afraid to attempt anything because you've lined up so perfectly in what you're trying to accomplish, then you're not really in the right lane for yourself. And and I think that happens a lot with people with learning disabilities or ADHD. I'll go back to this women piece because I think that this is, again, a, a lot of the clients that I work with are women and those expectations are there. You're seen as someone who's really smart and really capable. And so of course you'll be able to do it this way, but that's not how the world works. And it's also not how I work in particular. I often coach based on something called best practices versus best principles, meaning best practices assumes everyone can do the exact same thing and end up with the same result, which you and I both know does not work. And anyone who has learning disabilities or ADHD who failed quote unquote in school knows that that doesn't work and best principles, meaning we have the same goal and how we get there is going to be up to you and how we work it out so that it makes sense to you. Because if it's not sustainable, then it's never going to work and you're never going to thrive. Yeah,
1: I don't know that I've heard it put as the best practice versus best principles, but I really like that distinction. So, we've talked a little bit about ADHD. Um, you've also mentioned learning disabilities. Can you expand a little bit more about who or what type of learning disabilities you work with?
0: Sure. So, I have dyslexia, and that's part of why I had even started this whole company to really focus on learning disabilities and/or ADHD, because when I was in school, I thought of myself as dyslexia first and ADHD second. I thought because I struggled with reading and writing and spelling, I can't spell resilience for my life, but I'm incredibly resilient. You know, uh, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for someone to help me prioritize what I thought was my biggest disability and when I look for someone who does any kind of coaching for learning disabilities or ADHD, I only really found someone who did ADHD or they worked with someone who had developmental disabilities or intellectual disabilities or on the autism spectrum. And all of those are vastly, vastly different. So someone like myself who has dyslexia, it has nothing to do with actual intelligence at all. I mean, some of the most famous people in the world, are dyslexic. I I often highlight a lot of them, but Albert Einstein was dyslexic. I mean, this has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just a matter of how you think it organized. So I wanted to be able to highlight that word to say, I understand that this is not just an ADHD problem when it comes to keeping your life in check and the resources that you have as a kid versus what you have as an adult also don't exist for someone who has learning disabilities.
1: Would you say that the
0: people you work with are mainly entrepreneurs or are they employed by someone else? It's so interesting that you ask that question because I think actually if you look up most entrepreneurs, they're dyslexic or have ADHD. And I think part of it comes with the creative gene that is what I call superpowers is, I often highlight that people with learning disabilities or ADHD have these superpowers that other people don't have, but I also think it's environment. Imagine being in school or being at work and having to reinvent the wheel in order to make sense for you 20,000 times a day, a week. I mean, of course you're gonna come up with something that's simpler, or different, or accomplishes something larger. So, I would say a lot of people are entrepreneurs or have that entrepreneurial spirit. I'd also say a lot of my clients work in creative fields. I, when someone comes to me and says they work in marketing, I'm like, of course you do. You know, it, it that's that's where your creative juices flow, and I'm so glad when people find something that. Makes sense to them, and not to say that everyone who has ADHD or dyslexia or learning disabilities are in the creative fields, But I, that's that's a pretty big trend that I find.
1: Yeah, uh, we've talked. And I've had a couple different episodes this season of creatives and just kind of some of the struggles that come with organizing. And I think it's an interesting thought that someone with ADHD might also be drawn to that type of career profession or have Mm -hmm. those strengths. Um, So I really like you bringing that up. I was thinking too, and this is, I say all the time on here, like I try to make no assumptions, but like here I am going to make a little assumption is I'm just wondering what is it like for you? Because you're essentially a teacher. is, Is that kind of the right way to think of that, about what you
0: do? I think of myself more as a coach, someone who's on the sidelines, cheering you on because I feel like a teacher is telling you what to do. And a coach is encouraging you to really use your skills to the best of your ability. And I don't have the same teachings, quote unquote, style for every person. And every coach doesn't coach everyone the same way either. So yeah, I would think more of a coach
1: are there any challenges or have there been any things that you have overcome in doing this work where you're focused on someone else? Or is it because you're focused on someone else that you're able to kind of see the bigger picture? Not to make any assumptions that with
0: ADHD, it's harder to see the bigger picture. So are you asking for me personally or for my clients? For you personally. I actually think that's one of the things that is part of the Quote, unquote, superpower of having a uh, learning disability and ADHD, especially dyslexia. When it comes to that, I can see the big picture and all the little details all at once. I am the ultimate problem solver. And that's pretty much any job that I've ever had. It was like, who's going to solve it? Alex, we need to find Alex, mm-hmm. because I could be presented with something and knew exactly how the end user should experience it versus how do we get there and where are all the pieces in between. So that's." I think that's actually why I've ended up in the kinds of roles that I have and and how I organize. I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't make me incredibly anxious to see a whole bunch of chaos in front of me, but the fact that I have the ability to look at chaos and create structure, I think is really what makes me good at what I do. And I can do it quicker than most people because with ADHD, there's something that a lot of people with ADHD have hyper-focus. So it might take the average person six, seven hours to complete a task. If I'm sitting somewhere and I'm, I don't have any distractions and I'm in my quote-unquote hyper-focus time, I can complete something that takes most people six, seven hours in two to three and I don't move. So it's I, don't, I, I see all of these pieces as, again, superpowers, um, not a disability. It, it's the heightened ability,
1: really. I Just hearing you talk about that, I mean, I was coming kind of with that assumption that it would be harder to see the whole picture, but it makes perfect sense to me that not only are you seeing the whole picture, you're seeing all the little pieces in it too, which, yeah, what a superpower. Oh my gosh. And what an asset to anyone that you were working for. I can completely imagine them being like, okay, well, we know who can do this because we know what her strengths are and that's incredible. Um, And also you just saying about that hyper focus, I mean- yeah, I'll take some of that,
0: please. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, and that's really what I want to try and help some of my clients understand is because for so long, let's say someone who was diagnosed in school might've been told, or actually even if they weren't diagnosed in school, might've felt like they were stupid and that they were good at nothing. And I even went on a job interview. I think it was one of my first job interviews after college. And the person who was interviewing me asked me, Do you know how to multitask and i started laughing because i i didn't know it wasn't a joke and she was looking at me with a straight face and i was like wait a second people don't know how to multitask and she she was like no and it was the first time in my entire life that i realized that i actually had skills that other people didn't and i want to remind people who have these learning disabilities or adhd that There are a lot of skills that you have that can be huge contributors to different companies and that comes so naturally. But to go back to what we were talking about before of like fitting in a box and feeling like a failure, of course, you feel like a failure if you're constantly doing things that don't come naturally to you. But if you're doing something that comes naturally to you, there's endless possibilities there. Yeah,
1: it sounds like a lot of mindset work.
0: Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's also, I mean, I I, I say this because I think this is also important. We're talking about having somebody call you stupid and having this fear of failure. There's a pretty big overlap between people who have learning disabilities and ADHD and also suffer from mental health issues. So there's a lot of trauma. So, yes, it's mindset refocus, but it's also kind of walking through some of those very painful experiences and taking that negative energy and that negative self talk. And throwing it out. It's no longer serving you. And it wasn't serving you then either. So it's a combination of really taking a step back and getting to know you. That's what I work on with most of my clients.
1: Man, I feel like no matter who you are,
0: gosh, that's quite
1: helpful. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Wow, really seeing those strengths. I know that I was having a conversation just personally, kind of. Probably, I don't know, maybe four or five months into the pandemic, and a a friend of mine was talking about doing their resume, and they were gonna switch from being in food and bed into something totally different. And them trying to be like, well, I can't do anything because I've only worked in restaurants. And for me to just be like, I'm sorry, hold on. Like you can do so much because you have worked in restaurants and just helping them reframe that. Because I think so often you're told people that work in food and beds that, well, it's not a real job. It's just this. It's just so they already had this like tape in their mind of saying, well, I couldn't really apply for like an office job because I've only worked in restaurants and that's not a real job. And
0: it's the most high pressure organized environment and constantly being told you're wrong because the customers or whatever else I, that's ridiculous. I hope, I hope they found an industry that they liked and that they felt comfortable in, but really saw those skills as, as worthy because they're absolutely worthy.
1: You have had the great luck of being diagnosed early on in your life. So you had people in
0: your life kind of guiding you and teaching you different skill sets. Is that right? Like while you were in school? Yes. And that was, I mean, yes. And that was really due to my parents' diligence because my school district was not supportive, did not think that there was anything wrong with me. And so my parents had to pay for outside testing and we had to move to a completely different town. And that's really, I thought my story was not that unique. I thought I was going to find a lot more people who had similar stories to mine, but I have found I'm on the shorter end of the spectrum that most people that I know did not have that privilege of getting diagnosed or even having the right resources for them all the way through college. I don't think I would have even ended up in college or succeeding in college had I not had that support. And so I really try and keep that lens open to know that that's, that's my privilege. And I also try and work with organizations that could change change that. A lot of the people who are not getting diagnosed are children of color. And it's awful. It's one of those stinging points for me that makes me upset every time I think about it. Because when I look at the school district where I grew up versus where we moved, nothing's changed. And Mm. it was predominantly um, a lot of families of color who were in that school district. There's now one page PDF that says how to help your child with less distractions at home. And it's 20 years later. And the other school district where I moved has endless pages and pages. And I had to dig for that. So this is, a, this is a huge problem all the way around. So, I, I want to make sure that when I'm talking to my clients, I'm listening to their story because it doesn't have to be like mine. In fact, most of them aren't, and that's okay. This yeah. is their journey, and how we can help them walk through that and really just make it better is what I'm trying to do. It sounds like
1: this has clearly been a passion of yours almost your whole life forever yeah yeah and you're you're very a a very impassioned advocate as well are there things that you can recommend to other people whether it's advocating
0: for themselves for their children for their communities it depends on what phase um i mean advocating is so so important i had actually um in college created a mentor retention program for students with disabilities and it won a ton of awards from the university and the city and i had to do extensive research on it and what i learned in that process was the students that succeeded all the way through graduation were the ones who knew how to advocate for themselves and how to really speak up and say these are my needs and this is how we're going to complete it and really stick to it and I would say that for the workplace, too, that was something I thought because I created this program in college that I knew exactly how to advocate for myself. And the truth was, I knew exactly how to advocate for myself in school and in college. I had no idea how to advocate for myself in the workplace because all of those tools that I had are completely different. All of the resources that I had were completely different. So. Advocating is so important, and that's why I really try and have people start with what I call the getting to know you package, because you can't advocate for yourself and get the right resource for you and help you thrive unless you know exactly what your needs are and what you are looking for in order to succeed and what success looks like for you. So I would say advocacy, but it's really important to know what you're advocating for and what you are expecting to get out of the conversation when you do. And it's not going to be pretty every time. I have a lot of those conversations that are very frustrating, but that's the most important thing you can do. Yeah.
1: I I hadn't considered the difference between advocating for yourself in a school setting and advocating for yourself in a workplace setting.
0: That's exactly why I'm, I'm doing this kind of work because... In school, because I was dyslexic and had ADHD, I had all of my tests read to me. I had, my scantrons were filled out by somebody else because I would, I didn't know where the bubbles were. I was in a separate testing location because I would be easily distracted. What does that look like in the workplace? My first job, I was in an office with five or six people and it was like a main office essentially. So people were constantly walking in and out of the room. And I was the first desk that you'd see and that's who you talk to when you have a question. I can't do work that way. So, you know, and I didn't know how to talk to my boss about that. And I have always been very open about the fact that I have dyslexia and ADHD, because again, I've mentioned, I feel like that's my superpower. I'm exceptional at a lot of things that other people are not. And I don't necessarily expect anyone else to do that unless they feel comfortable. And I don't ask my clients to do that unless they feel comfortable. But that's that's the problem. So what could I have done for myself in that scenario that could have been different? Or how could I have interviewed for a job knowing that it came both ways and say, these are my expectations, these are the types of environments that I thrive in, is that a realistic expectation for where I'm working? Because I asked for headphones, noise-canceling headphones, and I was told no because it was seen as rude or, or any of that, which by the way, is illegal because the ADA is available. So I could have made that a lawsuit and whatever else. I didn't know any of those things, even though I was quote unquote, prepared to the best of my ability. And that's a a lot of the conversations that I have of, oh wait, I can ask for those things. It's within my rights to ask for those things. No, there's no resource from teacher who's sitting by your side who's going to talk to you through this, which is why I wanted to be there and say, I got it. I've been there. I've done it. I have the battle spars to prove it. You know, here's the conversations that went horribly wrong and here's why. Um, And kind of work with my clients through those types of conversations.
1: So flipping it out on its head a little bit, as an employer, what can you do to advocate for your employees or to make it known that these conversations are welcomed?
0: That's actually the second part of my business. So I have the coaching, which is for the individual clients who have learning disabilities or ADHD. And then there's the consulting that I do for companies and organizations to try and make it a much more inclusive organization or company for everyone. I, I often use this example of if you have a ramp into your building it's accessible by those bound to a chair or or have a walker for parents with strollers and anybody who can have the ability to come through the door. If you set up your company or your organization with tools that are effective for those who have learning disabilities or ADHD, but are also effective tools for anybody, everyone benefits. So, for example, my husband's office is... Before COVID, who knows what it'll be like after COVID? Completely, completely open space. And it's very distracting. And I remember going there, visiting, and thinking, this would be my worst nightmare. So, what do you do? And he's like, well, we have phone booths over here, and we have quiet spaces over here that have dim lighting, and we have different types of scenarios so that if you're sitting in your open office space and everyone has headphones, or if that doesn't work for you, that you have another space to go to, people who are using it are not necessarily people with ADHD or learning disabilities They're everybody. And I also think that that's it makes it easier because a lot of people who have learning disabilities or ADHD are not ones to come forward because they don't want to make it known that they are less than or quote unquote, seen as stupid or incapable, which are none of those things. It's just, they're not in the environment that is meant for them to succeed. And that's what I'm trying to change on a more global level.
1: You know, I'm wondering not to like go too far into a rabbit hole and not to like get, um, again, I don't like making assumptions, but people right now are transitioning from working from home to now maybe they are getting called back into the office. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of reasons why working from home worked better for them. One of them is that they had control of their environment, of their lighting, mm-hmm. of their noise, of their distractions, and how are they able to take that and bring it back into the office, if they're able to do that, if, if that's even a conversation that their employer is open to hearing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a conversation I've been having probably every week. It's It's also interesting because when I was talking to people at the beginning of the pandemic, Versus now, there are a lot of people with learning disabilities or ADHD who thrived because they could create their own schedule, they could work in their own rhythm, they could create their own space. There's also the people who struggled tremendously because building structure for themselves was not something they felt comfortable doing and they didn't know how to quote unquote create structure for themselves. And I say that with quotes because... I think everyone has the ability to organize and create structure. It's just a matter of doing it for themselves. And that's part of the process of it's there's like analysis paralysis with that. In terms of having moving into conversations of what does your company do moving forward? I think a lot of companies, at least from the ones that my clients are working in, they've said we want to make this adaptable because it's, again, it's not just the people who have learning disabilities or ADHD. There are people who have more time to be able to work out and that helped their mental health or be home with their kids and that helped their mental health and, and that just helped their family dynamic so much. So I would stop you in your tracks and say, what did success look like for you in this home environment? Was it a closed door? Was it having the ability to make your own schedule and be flexible? Was it um, having different meetings at different parts of the day so that you had a different time of your day that you could be more focused? I think it's really going to depend on you. And again, advocating for that. I think this is going to be from a managerial perspective and from an HR perspective, it's going to be very, very challenging, but I think we're now open to the idea that work doesn't look like nine to five in an office space and that you can work from anywhere and be successful. And I think this is the best thing that could possibly happen is having those open conversations because a lot of my clients have said, they're like, I work really well in the morning, my afternoon's messy, and then I'm really great at night or the middle of the day is perfect and the morning and the evening are a complete mess, but they get the same amount of work done and are more productive in that time. So I, I think it's again, it's really focusing on what was successful. And then also think about what was it? What really didn't work for you and how can you change it going back into an office and in, in ways that really work for you in an office setting.
1: As an entrepreneur that had that's for myself, I'll speak just for myself. That's something I'm constantly tinkering with is the structure of my day, that analysis paralysis that you don't mm-hmm. always know exactly what the right next move is. There are so many ideas. I have mm-hmm. notebooks filled of like, oh, I would like to do this or I would like to do that and I know I'm not the only one where it's just like okay, but what's the right next move? what What do I really need to be doing? And that's you know that's always what it is as an entrepreneur. I don't know that it really gets any better or different. You just learn how to deal with it. but as someone that is employed, Um, and was used to that structure, that must have been really challenging to then create it for yourself and, and have to make those decisions. But because you get to make those decisions, you might have learned a whole lot about what works for you.
0: Yeah. For me personally, I think I excelled in that because sitting in meetings that were dictated by other people constantly or having people interrupt me, constantly just walking into my office, even if my door was closed and I really couldn't do things. I mean, there was so many pieces of it that just drove me crazy and I just threw it to office dynamics. And it's not that I didn't like the people that I was working with or working for, I loved them, but I didn't realize that I could do something differently until I was working from home. And it's also fascinating because I have found that work could be challenging, but it didn't have to be hard. And I think that working from home and creating my own structure made it so much less stressful. And I was less burnt out because I could take a break in the middle of the day and go for a walk. Not that I didn't do that for my lunch break, but most of the time I would go back and rush to sit and eat lunch at my desk. I changed the environment. My husband and I have like started this thing where in the middle of the day when we have lunch, we'll watch like, an episode of like, right now we're doing Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but like we were doing like Shits Creek. We'd watched like one episode. It was something light and funny. And just even that breakup of the day, I can't even tell you how much more productive I feel and less stress. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Literally, I, I'm less stressed. And I'm working for myself that when that could be the most stressful thing you could possibly do.
1: I think that's wonderful on like five different levels. You know, I mean, you're getting to spend time together, which is like always a yeah. fun. And it's like kind of fun to just like in the middle of the afternoon, like, oh, like, look, we get to hang out. I, I don't normally see you at this time. Exactly. But, you know, just like you said, like you get to laugh, you get to unplug and unwind. And we know that for your mind and for creativity and productivity that that's why we get our best ideas in the shower or taking a walk or taking a drive because your brain can kind of shut off and, and really kind of do its own work. Completely. So I think that there's so many great things at that, but the chances of working in an office and having like a rec room. You know what?
0: Some offices do. I mean, I think some people I know had like pool tables and stuff. Only like media people had like cool right, right. things like that. I One of the things that I often do with my clients is I always, always, always ask, what is your favorite game to play on your phone? And they always think like, why are you asking me this? This is such a random question. I'm like, but it's not. I know everything about you by like you telling me what your favorite game is and what your least favorite game is. So I'll just say for myself, my favorite game is Tetris. I am, I swear, like what I used to jokingly say to one of my nephews that I would, Was a world renowned Tetris player because we'd go on vacation and I would be like somewhere else and playing Tetris. But I love being able to see all of the different blocks, know exactly where they go, how to organize them, and I could do it quicker and quicker and quicker as I I got through it. I hate, despise, I know this is gonna upset people. I hate Pac Man. I think it's the worst game ever because you're constantly moving and then the ghosts are coming to get you and you don't know which direction they're going. It's not predictable, but all of that summarizes exactly my personality. I love structure. I love figuring it out. Even if it's not perfect, I'll figure out a way to fix it later. When it comes to Pac-Man, I like structure. So not knowing and having things coming at me left and right changes everything. So the reason I bring that up is because sure, you don't necessarily have the best, know, fun activity that you can do in the middle of the day when you're working. But I have always talked about with my clients, this was something I did as a kid. And I've done this with a few of my clients. I'm not, this doesn't work for everybody, but I will say the ones who do have really loved it. Finding the time to play that favorite game of yours that helps you think in a different way, think creatively, makes you feel good, makes you feel accomplished. You play it for 10, 15, 20 minutes instead of looking on social media or, you know, something else that might be more distracting, using that time to play something that makes you feel good and jumping back into what you have to do. You already feel accomplished and you're, you're going to, it's like, think of it as an exercise. You're working out, you're stretching before you work out again. So I think that's a great opportunity to open it up. Don't be afraid to take out your phone to play a game. That is such a cool question. I love that you
1: asked that. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it does allow you, it's something that you always have with you, chances are, mm-hmm. and you can just pull it out. And and even if, because if, I'm someone that, you know, might think I'm just going to play for a little bit and then, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes goes by. I set, I set a timer. I was going to say, I, you, <laughs> you know, just
0: set a timer. I set a timer. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Perfect. You know, maybe you just finished that level and you need another minute or two. But again, if you're feeling accomplished and you're feeling productive, then jumping into the piles of work that you have next, you feel like, okay, I already checked off a box. I finished something. So now I can finish something else. Love that. That's
1: amazing. I have loved our conversation. I am so grateful for the work that you do and the advocacy and just the way that you think around these things. I'm just I'm excited to know that there are people out there that are doing this work for adults. Not to say there's still plenty of work that we need to do for kids, don't get me wrong, but you really don't hear about people doing this for adults. And mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that you are out here as a resource to do that.
0: Me too. But thank you. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's exactly why I'm doing it. That's exactly what I'm doing. So thank you. I, this was great. Yes. Will you
1: tell the listeners um, some places that they can find you, your website or your social media handles, wherever you
0: hang out. So you can find my website. It's Cape. I spell Cape in a very different way because I'm dyslexic. So it's C-A-P-E-A-B-L-E consulting.com. Or you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn at Capable, spelled the same way as my website, Capable Consulting LLC, or on Instagram at I am Capable. Love it. And cape
1: as in superheroes
0: and superpowers. Exactly. Exactly. You can find all of that information with the origin story of the name on my website as well.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much, Alex. It was my pleasure. And, uh, We'll have to keep following you and then seeing all the, the great work that you're doing out here.
0: Yes, I'd love that.
1: Thanks for joining us today on the Executive Order Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're really enjoying the show, leave me a review you want to connect with the podcast on Instagram or Twitter, you can find it at Executive Order Podcast. And if you want more information or to connect with me about organizing, you can find me at XeniaOrganizers.com. All links in the show notes. Can't wait to chat with you in the next episode.